Hi, I'm Mike, lead pastor at The Ridge, and this is our weekly podcast. Thank you for joining us. Our desire is for you to grow in relationship with God, connect with others, and to experience God's purpose for life by adding value to the life of another. I hope that this message will build your faith and encourage you as we seek to grow together in God's Word. Enjoy today's message. We're to chapter 18 in the book of Acts, and Acts is the book of the Bible that comes right after the resurrection of Jesus. So right after Easter, and in chapter 14, we're going to see Paul, he has something. He's the leader of the Jesus movement, and he has something in here that I really deeply want. Let's begin where the passage ends. And that's it. Chapter 14, verse 19 says, then some Jews came from Antioch and Iconium and won over the crowd. These guys, these Jews, they so despise Paul. They travel 100 miles just to rally up a crowd against him. And they didn't stop with that. Verse 19 continues. Then some Jews from Antioch and Iconium won the crowd over. They stoned Paul and dragged him outside the city thinking he was dead. They threw rocks at him until he collapsed and appeared to be dead. He wasn't quite dead. He survived. So what did he do? I mean, take a day off? I think he deserved that. Or maybe he got mad at God and said, God, why did you let this happen? God, where were you? Well, Paul didn't do either of those things. Rather, we read that Paul did this. Verse 19 and 20. They stoned Paul and dragged him outside the city, thinking he was dead. But after the disciples had gathered around him, he got up and went back into the city. Whoa! He picked himself up and he goes back into the same city with the people who had just thrown stones at him. And he continues to tell them about Jesus. Who does that? Paul, this guy's an optimist. He reminds me of, of this little guy. You know, I got a piece of cardboard, two toilet paper rolls, and a dream. I can do this. Who is the, the most pessimistic, unhappy, joyless person that you know? Someone who's negative, someone who always sees the downside, someone who just a habitual complainer. And if you're sitting next to this person, I don't recommend elbowing them. (laughs) Keep it to yourself. Now, think of who is the happiest, most joy-filled person that you know. Someone that's just a delight to be around. What's the difference between those two people? Who would you rather spend time with? Which of those would you like to be more like? Which of those are you more like? Do you want to experience a happy, joy-filled life? Yeah, I, I do. That's the message that Paul was sharing with these people in Acts chapter 14 when they decided to stone him. Let's look at what was going on. It starts here, verse 8. In Lystra, that's the town that Paul was in, there said a man who was lame. He had been that way from birth and had never walked. 
See, there's no synagogue in Lystra, very few Jewish people in the city. And so Paul's typical strategy of going into a city, finding the Jewish community, and then pulling out the Old Testament and showing them that Jesus was the promised Messiah. Well, that wasn't going to work here. So Paul, he needed a different platform in order to garnish attention, in order to draw in a crowd. He notices this man who has a lifelong disability sitting near him. Verse 9, he listened to Paul as he was speaking. Paul looked directly at him, saw that he had faith to be healed. If you're familiar with the Bible, you probably know where this is going. In the New Testament, if you see somebody who's blind or you see somebody who's got leprosy or you see someone who's lame, odds are there's going to be a miracle. Well, that doesn't mean that every person in this city who had a disability got healed. Some of them didn't. Uh, He did. And if you look close, a lot of miracles in the book of Acts. When you look close, all these healings, well, they aren't the same. Sometimes people who are filled filled with faith get healed. Sometimes it's people who have very little, if any, faith that get healed. The common denominator, the common denominator with all these healings in the book of Acts is this. The healing gets people's attention and provides a platform so the disciples can tell people about Jesus. They're all to bring glory and attention to him. What continues, verse 9 and 10, Paul looked directly at him, saw that he had faith to be healed, and called out, stand up on your feet. At that, the man jumped up and began to walk. It's a healing, it's a rescue, it's a miracle. What couldn't be explained with something physical, this was something spiritual. So what happened next? Well, there's repenting, baptizing, worshiping, right? wrong. What happens next after this miracle in Mount Lystra is what makes this passage unique. There's this miraculous healing. People don't turn to Jesus. Rather, after the healing, they did this. Verse 11. When the crowd saw what Paul had done, they shouted in Lysonian language, the gods have come down to us in human form. Barnabas they called Zeus, and Paul they called Hermes because he was the chief speaker. After this healing in Lystra, people didn't turn to Jesus. They turned to Paul. They turned to Barnabas. They said, it's these guys. These are the Greek gods. This is Zeus. This is Hermes. You'd think that maybe after Paul and Barnabas have experienced rejection in the previous couple cities they've been in, maybe they get here and are like, oh, this is nice. We're, we're getting encouraged. We're getting affirmation. How did they respond? Next verse. Verse 14. But when the apostles, Barnabas and Paul, heard of this, they tore their clothes and rushed out into the crowd. little historical context here. 2,000 years ago, tearing off your clothes and running into a crowd, that wasn't naked body surfing. That's not what Paul was up to here. 2,000 years ago, tearing your clothes was a sign of extreme grief. Say, well, grief? What's Paul grieved about? Well, he was grieved because this miracle didn't lead people to Jesus. Rather, it led people to sensationalism. Paul and Barnabas, they tore their clothes, they ran into the crowd, and here's what they said, verse 15. Friends, Why are you doing this? We too are only human like you. Paul didn't accept their praise. 
He didn't accept their worship and he actually didn't need that. He didn't need their praise. He didn't need their affirmation. He didn't need their words because he had something deeper in him. He had this. Paul, he has a very deep and abiding joy. Do you have that? Do you want that? Well, hang in there. Because Acts chapter 14 continues with Paul telling them and telling us how to be filled with this joy. Verse 15. We are bringing you good news. Telling you to turn from these worthless things to the living God who made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them. He said, we're bringing you good news. And in order for this good news to be good news for you, there's something you're going to need to do. You're going to need to do something a little bit unpopular and a little bit unorthodox. Did you catch it? It's right here. Verse 15. He says, turn from these worthless things to the living God. Well, what worthless things? Verse 13 was telling us about him says this. The priest of Zeus, whose temple was just outside the city, brought bulls and wreaths to the city gates because he and the crowd wanted to offer sacrifices to them. The bulls, the wreaths, they represent the wealth and the stuff, the things we have, the things we buy, the things we own, the things we wear, the things we drive. You and I, we live in one of the richest, wealthiest, most educated societies in the history of this world. We also live in one of the most bored, depressed, emotionally medicated societies in the history of the world. Why is that? Well, one of the reasons is that this constant pursuit of happiness, it doesn't lead us to lasting happiness. I will never experience lasting happiness in life as long as my goal is for me to be happy. Your inside will never be filled with a deep and lasting joy as long as the goal of your life is to be happy. Lasting happiness is not a commodity that we can attain. Happiness, rather, is a byproduct of pursuing something else, something bigger, something better. We see it in here. Let's keep going. Verse 15. Friends, why are you doing this? We too are only human like you. We are bringing you good news, telling you to turn from these worthless things to the living God who made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them. Well, look at these residents of Lystra here. They see a miracle. They think, oh, Paul and Barnabas, they're gods. They've come to bless us. So they're happy and they're thankful and they're praising and they're worshiping and they're bringing things to them. And then Paul, he shuts them down saying, it's not us. It's not us. It's not about us. And then moments later, these same people, these same people who were happy and who were thankful and who were grateful, end up doing this. Verse 19. They stoned Paul and dragged him outside of the city thinking he was dead. Talk about a flip-flop. Wow. When we read this, I think God is wanting us to ask the question, what happened? 
What happened? These people went from being happy and thankful and grateful to all of a sudden they want to stone him. What happened? What happened to them? What happened to their happiness? Well, poof, disappeared just like that. Because we, like they, we have this tendency to base our happiness on our present circumstances. You know, I'll be happy if Zeus and Hermes, if they actually show up. I'll be happy if I get what I want. I'll be happy if things go the way that I want them to go. Pursuing happiness based on their circumstances. Example. We think, well, I'll be happy when I can just get a, a little bit more wealth. Money. And then when we get it, we'll spend it on something newer and something better. And, well, that happiness doesn't last because there's always the next thing. Example. Maybe we think, well, I'll be happy when I get a good job. Well, we get another job. And typically, when we start a new job, we think, well, this is going to be a good job. But what happens? As time goes on, we realize, well, there's pressure and there's challenges. This feels a lot like work. And. Same thing, you know, maybe you think, well, I'll be happy when I get married and when I have kids. Parents, is that the way it works? <laughs> I think sometimes before kids, we have this image uh, of these sweet little cherub baby angels. They're cooing and they're giggling and they're smiling. And then when they go to school, they're perfect students and they get straight A's and they get character council wars. But when we actually have kids, we discover they do things like this. We realize there are dirty diapers. We realize there are middle-of-the-night feedings. We realize there are tantrums and behavioral issues. Having children, we realize it's actually stressful, and it's consuming, and it's exhausting. Paul had something different. Paul, we see in Acts 14, he didn't have a happiness that was based on pleasant circumstances. What Paul had was much deeper than that. Verse 19, they stoned Paul and dragged him outside the city, thinking he was dead. But after the disciples had gathered around him, he got back up and went back into the city. Paul didn't quit. Paul didn't give up. Paul went back. He went back to the very same city that was trying to execute him. You see, suffering in life doesn't have to eliminate joy in life. If it did, we would rarely have it. Paul, he had this deep joy in him. He wants to go back. He wants to keep telling people about Jesus, even when he was suffering. What's going on in your life today? Is everything going great? Because it's not. In mine, I've got some challenges. I got some things that aren't going the way that I would like them to go. And it's not just in our personal lives. I mean, it's the world that we live in. It's like every day, every day you, you see what's going on and we see well, the mass shooting, political division, racial tension, conflict in the Middle East. We live in a world with this darkness and this evil. How can we even talk about there being a lasting happiness and an a lasting joy. Something unique about the Bible. 
you notice as you dig into this that this is not the the make-believe story of people living in fantasy land. This is a historical account of people not all that different than you and I living in this land. Bible, it doesn't ignore pain and suffering. Paul, just a few few chapters earlier, he becomes a follower of Jesus. What happens next? It's not happily ever after for Paul. Life gets hard. Life gets challenging. Life gets tough. But here's what we see in chapter 14. He's still got great joy. Great joy. He experiences great joy even in the midst of great suffering. They tried to stone him, but they couldn't take away his joy. Why? Because our outer circumstances don't have to control our inner well-being. According to the Bible, we can live joy-filled lives even when our lives are hard. How? Well, it tells us. Verse 17. Yet he, talking about God, has not left himself without testimony. He has shown kindness by giving you rain from heaven and crops in their season. He provides you with plenty of food and fills your hearts with joy. You see where the source of that is? He says, well, that's what God does. God is the source of joy, not my circumstances, not my situation. Joy, God is showing us in Acts 14, joy comes Not from external things. Joy comes from God things. I I will never experience lasting happiness as long as the primary goal of my life is for me to be happy. Because there is something bigger and there is something better than the happy life. And that's this. The purpose-filled life. Happiness without purpose is shallow and empty and short-lived. And I know what the Declaration of Independence says, but I'll tell you, God, He didn't design us just to pursue our own happiness. He designed us for more than that. He designed us to make a contribution to this world, to add value to the life of other people in His creation. When people reflect on their lives, ends up, it's meaning that matters most. See, here's, here's what a happiness is happiness, lasting happiness, is a byproduct of experience, a life of purpose. Happiness, lasting happiness, is a byproduct of experience, life, purpose. God shows us here joy isn't connected to our current life circumstance. Joy is connected to living a purpose-filled life. Just look at Jesus. But when Jesus came to this earth, he didn't get everything he wanted the way that he wanted it. I mean, what were things like for him today? Jesus is is fairly popular. Most people that have issues with Christianity don't have issues with Jesus. Jesus, oh yeah, like Jesus. Jesus is a good dude. We're, We're in on Jesus. But think about Jesus. Jesus is actually quite different. Jesus is different than this culture that we live in. If we truly want to follow Jesus, if we want to do more than just acknowledge, you know, oh yeah, yeah, I, I like that Jesus. If we truly want to follow him, then recognize 
we're going to be different. We're going to have different values and we're going to have different goals and we're going to have different purposes because he came. Well, he came for the cross. He came to give. He came to serve. He came to help other people. He came to bless other people. And you and I, we have been created in his image. We have been created in his likeness. We think, oh, I'll be happy when I get everything that I want. But actually what we see is that happiness and meaning flow out of what happens when we give. When we serve, when we bless other people, because that's the way we were designed and created to live. Verse 19. They stoned Paul and dragged him outside the city, thinking he was dead. But after the disciples had gathered around him, he got up and went back into the city. Paul, his life wasn't easy, but it is filled with joy because it is filled with joy purpose. Do you want to experience a a joy-filled, happy life? Yeah, sign me up. How do I do that? How do I get that? There's a big study that came out recently. Did a lot of research on this study, and here's what they concluded. You want to find the single most reliable activity to increase your general sense of well-being. Here it is. Here's what they concluded. Number one thing you can do is this. Number one thing you can do is Do something for somebody else. Not interesting. Huge research, huge study on this issue. And it's something the Bible has been telling us for thousands of years. Single most reliable activity. If you want to increase your own sense of well-being and happiness and joy, it's this. Do something for somebody else. It's the way we've been designed. It's the way we've been created. We will tap into our purpose for being. It's just simple acts of kindnesses. Application. This doesn't have to be anything big. It doesn't have to be anything dramatic. It doesn't have to be anything drastic. Start by finding something small that you can do for somebody close to you. It could be emptying the dishwasher. It could be clearing the table. It could be running an errand. It could be doing dishes. It could be filling their car with gas. Small stuff. And then as your heart begins to expand and and to grow, you can start including other people in this. Leave a generous tip. Write an encouraging note. Let that car cut in. Stop doing all the talking and, and actually listen to someone else. Or send them a gift card. Volunteer to... To serve or find, see the work that you do, see the school that you're a part of as a way that you can help somebody. Say, God, how can I use this shift? How can I use this day to be a blessing to someone else? You see what's at the center of all of it? Getting the focus of my life off of me. The the most joy-filled people I know They all have this in common. The most joy-filled people I know have been able to to get the focus off of themselves. And I'll tell you what, this this teaching that Paul is is getting, getting to us in Acts 14, this is the exact opposite of the world that we live in. The me center world that says, well, fulfill yourself. 
Bless yourself, pamper yourself, take care of yourself. Exact opposite in here. God is saying when we live and serve and bless others, that's where meaning, that's where purpose, that's where happiness, that's where joy, that's where it's found. Let me close with this. Verse 17, he, God, has shown kindness. God's done this. Not asking us to do something he himself hasn't done. He has shown kindness by giving you rain from heaven and crops in their seasons. He provides you with plenty of food and fills your hearts with joy. Joy doesn't come from external things. Joy, it comes from it comes from God things. I will never experience lasting joy in my life as long as my primary goal is for me to be happy. Jesus teaches there is something bigger, there is something better than the happy life, the purpose-filled life. He came. He gave. He served. He blessed others. He added value to others. And you and I, we have been created in His image, in His likeness. Joy will never be found When we live for me, joy will always be found when we live for others, just like Jesus did. Thanks for joining us today and listening to our weekly podcast. My name is Will Heron. I'm the director of discipleship here at The Ridge. If you would like to dig a little deeper into what we've been talking about today, uh, be sure to check out Beyond the Sermon. This is a weekly devotional that goes out after second service on Sunday. There you'll find the scripture that we've been looking at, some questions for you to to dive into. But then there's also a discussion uh, that I have with whoever is teaching that Sunday, and we just dive deeper into different themes and topics from the sermon. If you've enjoyed our podcast, feel free to share it with your friends, and also jump on our website, ridgelife.org, to get more connected here at the Ridge.